about to enter a nexus of science, violence, and nonsense, where fake news, pseudoscience, and weaponized stupidity meet full contact fact-checking and peer-reviewed ass-kicking. And as always, no bullshit allowed. Recorded live at Mosquito Headquarters in Austin, Texas, this is the Art of Fighting BS Podcast. Brain chips in the trick. Chocolate lines up planetarily with the sun. Necessarily you are fake news. Come on, man. Science is interesting. If you don't agree, you can fuck off. Let's do this. Official Art of Fighting BS podcast this evening, starring Derek and our very special guest Andy Mead, who is an expert in financial matters. We'll get into that at some point here in the very near future. So, uh, take it away, Andy. Who are you? What do you? What do you? Oh know? wow! Hi guys. Uh, well, quasi expert in some things. My uh, my background's economics. I studied that in undergrad, and I've worked as an economist for. Uh, one of the big four firms doing a lot of kind of uh, global uh, valuations, cross-border movements, intellectual property, that sort of thing. So a lot of valuations, a lot of kind of looking at how, the mechanisms of how funds move back and forth and how we account for all that. So, All right. So let's um, let's cover why we're here tonight. So we're, we're calling this an emergency episode. Um, and obviously, if you woke up this morning... And we're exposed to any sort of media at all, you know that there is some sort of barn fire going on in the stock market right now. Uh, it started as apparently some sort of a movement on Reddit, and uh, maybe Elon Musk was involved, and there's all sorts of confusing terms like uh, short selling and short squeeze and Lots of stuff going on, GameStop, and apparently they're trying to, like, you know, I guess it's kind of like a middle finger, just kind of, like, prop up all of these uh, firms that are publicly traded that are basically over with anyway. So, um, you know, that's kind of my take from it. I have been looking at it for, like, a day, and I can't make sense of it. Uh, <laughs> and so that's why we're here to uh, speak this evening. Nice. Well, you said one thing interesting there already, which is uh, Elon Musk. I mean, Tesla's stock is up 4x just this last year. You know, his right, personal he, net worth is up. <laughs> yep. But he didn't even make earnings, right? No, that has little to do with it. It's people betting on this. It's And this is the first thing to understand. Like in theory, in abstract theory, the, the price of a company's stock by definition reflects investors' expectations of future cash flow from that stock. In theory, if you ran the math, it didn't equal out to the penny. In reality, the market treats these things more like prop bets in a casino. And you so, can make so, money as the thing moves up or down just on volatility alone without so, regard to the underlying asset. Okay, so jumping in there. So, so to make it clear, in theory, a stock is basically I want a piece of the company's future earnings. That's going to be a dividend that the company pays back to me. But in reality, it's, well, this is probably going to pay something much more in the future. So give me money now for it. 
It's the difference between what the stock actually returns to shareholders as dividends versus my capital gain or loss on the stock. So if I'm investing in a stock, if I'm putting $100 in, I'd better be expecting $8 a year in dividends or else it's not worth me doing it, right? Why am I going to give you $100 if I, unless I get back something like, you know, 10 bucks a year into the future? With, well, most companies don't do dividends, really. Right. Companies have moved away from this. You know, uh, Amazon, Bezos became the richest guy on earth by just flat out saying, yeah, dividends, we're not going to do that. Why would we give cash to anyone except Amazon? Because we actually believe that Amazon having that cash is going to make the most money for Amazon. So they just, and they, they train their investors in Wall Street early to be okay with that and just look at the price of Amazon stock. They realized you can pay out absolutely nothing and tell your investors, just give them the middle finger. You know, they get people in earnings calls all the time, pressuring them to pay a dividend, you know, activist investors. And they answer back like, nope, not going to do it. Sell the stock. So that's an option. And, and they, that kind of showed a lot of tech firms kind of the way forward because you can comp your people on capital gains, right? I, you know, Derek, you work for the company. I can give you stock options that vest and get you these huge returns, but it's not even ordinary income. There's special accounting for these options, right? So, so it's a way to kind of create value for the stakeholders in the company without actually paying anyone. Um, and there's been fights over that for decades. You know, that's, that's kind of part of this game is that, that split between the value of the dividends you get and the, value, the amount of money I can extract by just watching the price go up and down in the short term. So call it short-term trading versus long-term trading. Okay, so stock, the stock market, people trade these little pieces of company back and forth. Now they're not really expecting to get dividends or just expect- Hey, audio cut out there. Oh, Did we lose no. Derek? I still see him. Oh, I don't know. Can you hear me? There he is. I don't know. Yeah, my AirPods just got out. You're good. Yeah, that was weird. See, now you have to charge each one separately. Oh, <laughs> technology. I, I hate technology. I, I really do. I was on the computer so much as a kid, but I just I can't stand it anymore. I don't know what happened. I'm not even old. <laughs> Silicon Valley happened. Okay. So, so sorry. Back, back on topic. Um, <laughs> GameStop, right? It's being on the verge of bankruptcy for yeah now why is there Derek you may want to just go uh, direct device audio what's happening You're gonna... in and out pretty hard I'm gonna grab a... let me see if I can find some plugs let's uh let's keep running with it oh, okay basically trying to get back to the point that I've been trying to to get to what's going on with GameStop now what these these shares, there's not going to be any dividends because the company is going bankrupt. Why is the stock up over $500? Right. So do you guys know what pink sheet stocks are? Is that a common term people use? Yeah, so pink no. sheets are you're not listed on a major exchange anymore because your, uh, your price per share, I think, is lower than what they'll actually list. Is that uh, absolutely right? right. That's uh, who I got one. It's for 400, Alex. Yeah. Yeah. So so when a company falls below a threshold, but like with the Nasdaq, it's a buck a share. If you're below that, you're considered a penny stock and they delist you, which is basically death. Uh, GameStop's not there, but it's it's on that spectrum. It's not doing great. And it's, you know, it's simply that, like, you know, people don't buy video games 
at brick and mortar stores in plastic containers anymore. You know, there's this thing called steam. Um, so there, it doesn't make a lot of sense as a business and finance nerds have kind of called these firms zombie firms, which is a firm that doesn't really have a good justification for existing. It doesn't, you couldn't go to investors today and be like, I got a great idea. I'm going to rent retail spaces in front of home depots and sell video games in boxes. Like they're just going to look at you like you're crazy. But when you're a big company and you have all this historical inertia, you have all these workers in place, you have all these buildings, all these leases, signs, you kind of just keep limping along. And that's kind of where GameStop is. It's a, it's a zombie firm. What The issue here, though, is that this firm has all this stock outstanding and people can trade on it whether or not they care about the future of selling games in boxes at retail stores. The and, and actually, this is a critical distinction people don't tend to think about. The, the stock these firms create, print basically, is really basically a form of a currency. It's not, it's not US dollars, it's not yen, uh, and it's not, a, it's not a blockchain currency. It's a, it's a stock certificate, but it has the same function. When people agree that this has, thing has value and they're willing to exchange it for other currencies that people agree have value, it gains value in the eyes of the market. And so what's new here with GameStop is you actually have the kind of the general public getting wise and saying, wait, so there's all these little currencies out here, right? Not the yen or the dollar where like the volumes are so high that no, you know, we couldn't, you couldn't move the yen if you tried, you know, it would take hundreds of billions of dollars. But with something like GameStop that no one's particularly interested in, they print it all. I mean, you know, they, they authorize shares in the terms of like, you know, 10 million shares or hundred millions. So there's like a lot of shares. They have a decent value. They're not a penny stock at all. So they're public listed. So we could just buy and sell them. And investors looking for short-term profits are way more interested in the capital gains they can get by betting on these upward and downward pricing movements than anyone is about, you know, waiting around for 15 years holding the stock like an old-fashioned investor where you just, oh, I, you know, I bought this railroad and now it pays me an 8% coupon every year. You know, those so, days are gone. So, now it's, I want to make money today. So they look at it and say, where do I think the stock is going to be tomorrow and if price can, it off of that versus what the future expectations of earnings would be? If I know the price of a stock tomorrow or even 20 minutes from now and I have enough leverage, I can make serious money. And that's the seductive thing. And so what, what's changed now, because, you know, Wall Street's been doing this forever. What's changed now is that you have all these people home from, for COVID. They all have these little computers in their pockets. And the computers all have basically a Bloomberg terminal now with zero cost, you know, zero fee brokerage accounts in their pocket. So what is a Bloomberg terminal? Uh, Bloomberg Terminal was this thing Michael Bloomberg came up with in the uh, the late seventies, early eighties that allowed Wall Street investors to tap into these main what were these giant mainframes, you know, these yeah, these IBM mainframes. So they could tap have, in from their house and see stock prices. We used to have um, a Bloomberg fee where I used to work, and it was yep. actually like almost like a separate internet connection that came in that would uh, give us access to stock tickers and stuff like that. So. It was, if, uh, you know, pretty, um, I don't know, forward. It gives of, you root access. Yeah. You are, you yeah. can execute live trades, you know? So we had them at, at university. I went to university of Washington. We had, they had, they donated some because just like Apple likes to donate their computers, they want to get people using them. So the finance, you know, major people had like a room of Bloomberg terminals and you could go and execute trade, you know, mock trades on them. Um, 
but now that's what Robinhood basically is. They're like, oh, well, we can do that on the app. We don't, we no longer need, you know, the thing that made Bloomberg so rich was that they kind of got control back when it still was switchboards and like things plugged into other things, you know, and guys yelling at each other in the streets of New York. Now it's all on the internet. So now you get a thing like Robinhood where they're like, yeah, we'll do that too. There's a zillion no fee trading things. Robinhood's thing was they gamified it. They they made it more like Candy Crush, where like you get fireworks when you get something goes right. You you start to do the the uh, the mechanisms behind uh, let's call it gambling addiction. You know what so, the same thing casinos do for uh, slot machines. Okay, so circling back to GameStop, um, yeah. you you said they're kind of on this trajectory of being this zombie firm. Seems yeah. pretty likely that the stock is going to drop. What happened? Uh, what did investors do when they saw that? And then how did the internet respond? So, right. so uh, hold on, hold on one sec. Let me, let, let me interrupt. Cause I, yeah. I, I don't want to jump the shark too much because, you know, we're, we're talking in terms of, of things that people may not understand at this point. So I think, you know, we need, we need to kind of, uh, in my head and tell me if I'm wrong, but in my head, we need to kind of, uh, explain what's going on in a way that normal people can understand. And by normal people, I mean me. <laughs> so there's a monkey with a bunch of bananas. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, I think Derek had a good question. What, what's your question here? Let's, let's keep going down that path. So, okay, so there's... there So... Because, yeah, the clarifying wait, so, wait, no, so, yeah, we talked about... We talked about, all right, so you can buy stock, right? And sit on that stock for years and years and years. And, and we, I, I, maybe it's just me, but I think we kind of skipped over, you know, options and, and contract trading and, uh, secondary oh, sure. markets and stuff like that. So uh, I think we need to talk about that because w one of the things that's going on, like w when you talk about shorting a stock is that you've, um, taken what's called a position, I think, if I'm right. And you have the option to either exercise that position or to sell your position to somebody else. And I think well, that, short, that, shorts that, and options are totally are similar but different. Correct. Okay, similar but different. But so the, I, and this is exactly why I'm asking the question, right? Okay. Right. So go for it, Derek. I okay. So a short, a short, a short seller. What they do is they buy a stock. Let's say it's a stock of Apple, one, one share of Apple. Um, and then they turn around and sell that because they think Apple's stock is going to drop. Let's say they bought a share for $10, sold it for $10, or they borrowed a share, sold it for $10. There you go. Then the next day, the stock drops to $5. They buy a stock, give it back to the person they borrowed it from, and they just made $5. Yeah. I'll let Andy and explain options because they're a lot more complicated than that. Well, and that's that's the salient distinction. So the short, you don't actually own the stock. You're you are borrowing, or you're actually paying to borrow. So you're leasing the stock, uh, and then you go, then you get to go sell it in the market. You're betting it's going to go down, so you sell it right now at what you believe is a higher price, and the you pay the owner of the stock so that they get something for giving you the option to do this. And then if the stock you know goes down, you get to buy it back at that you know at that lower price so you get in the, the difference in the big short it's all that stuff all that the premiums that uh off-brand batman had to pay pay for being able to short those those funds that just kept bleeding them dry until it paid off right 
Uh, Christian Bale is a genius and an American hero. <laughs> I forgot his name. I honestly did. <laughs> Um, so yes and and the irony here and actually this this sets and we'll get back to like with these kind of terms but this is actually sets up a great kind of irony in the big short the problem was the exact opposite of what we're dealing with now where where people no one could see any sense in ever shorting the housing market there were no shorts that was the whole point so these guys went around it's like can i buy shorts in the housing market and they were like you know how much money have you got um but it was because some of these kind of inside investors had kind of seen the absurdity of it. You know, you got guys like Michael Burry, the uh, uh, Batman, who actually went through and looked and just like, you know, these numbers don't add up. You know, someone should be betting that these will eventually go down. Whereas here, you have the exact opposite. You have Wall Street taking the position of GameStop's got to go down. You know, it's what I'm saying. Like, this is a dead end business. You can't sell boxes of plastic and a brick and mortar. Re- like, have you heard of Amazon? Have you heard of Steam? So they're they're taking the the kind of safe, strong play, which is you know this thing has to go down. What Reddit? What, actually, so let's pause there. So, let's address your question about like what kind of option. What else? What can we tell people about like options trading generally and just the basic terminology we're using? Okay, so there's there's two different types of options very simplistically you have a call option and a put option a call option i'll let andy explain because my mind just went blank trying to wrap my head around all that stuff and we can simplify this the terms don't even matter because what derek's calling out is that there is a slight difference between a put and a short sale even though they're both bets that the stock's going to go down what we need to know like we don't need to worry too much about the difference between a short and a put uh, it kind of has to do with who owns title to the thing and how the contract works. But what we really need to know is that as an investor today, you can open up your Robinhood accounts. And in fact, Robinhood specializes in this, specializes in getting people kind of engaged in these kind of levered trades. Um, all you need to know is that if you if you have a strong inclination that you know how a stock's going to perform up or down, you can place that bet. Wall Street will let you place that bet easily. And so, like, all you have to do is make a bet and say, like, yeah, I think GameStop's going to go down or I think it's going to go up. And if, if you're right, you can make a bunch of money. If you lose, you can lose a bunch of money. And to bring this back to GameStop, the thing that's happening is the losses for the – I'm going to get this backwards. Again, like, this doesn't have to be complicated, but they make it complicated because I think they don't want people understanding how simple this really is. You know, it basically is a casino betting, you know, prop bets. But right. so so you have the the investors who think GameStop's going to go down. They borrow yeah. a bunch of shares of GameStop. They pay a fee for the for the opportunity to whoever owns those shares. They sell them. The price doesn't go down. Why wouldn't the price go down? And how does that affect the investors, the Wall Street investors? Okay, so in a short sale run, the way this works on Wall Street is you. Can you guys hear me already? Right? I just dropped my own uh, earbuds off. Yep. Okay. And I'm keeping the volume. Are you guys low? So normally the way this works is they look at this and say like, okay, like GameStop doesn't have a future. This thing's going to go to zero anyway. Let's just start our short position. So we're just going to sequentially bet that the stock goes down over time. And as the stock goes down, we'll collect money on those bets. Um, the the problem here and where it gets interesting is that because and that's that's the market fundamentals. I mean, I, I'm looking at GameStop's business and like they don't I don't see a future for them. And that, of course, that's not investment advice or legal. You know, please don't come after me for that. But like a, a normal person would look at this and say there's no future here. So let's kind of start. Not only let's I, I expect people to sell their shares. I would sell my shares, but I expect other people will in the future. So I place that bet. 
what was interesting here is that the the shorts actually ended up exceeding the amount of shares outstanding, which is hilarious. But I, again, it's just part of the rule set. You know, one of the questions is, well, okay, how, so I understand what people, why people would bet the stock would go down. That makes sense. But how is it that there can be more shares betting that the stock will go down than there are shares outstanding? And so, that's, you know, that's wow. kind of just hey, so let, logic. Let, let's talk about that real quick. So yep. when when you have an IPO, you go public with your company, right? Yep. You'll say, hey, we're going to issue uh, a million shares, yeah. right? And so that that million shares is kind of the finite amount of money that is involved here. So when we talk about shares outstanding or talking about how how these positions work, it's all based on you know this this kind of uh, really limited uh, monetary um, vessel, right? So maybe you can address that a little bit because I I, I don't know if anybody really understands that. Uh, I certainly don't. Okay, well, so, actually, so, and again, like I'll I'm a bit cynical on this. I've been in one part of the space or another for many years now. And you, you kind of start to realize that there's a lot of doublespeak here. Um, where do we even start with this? So I'm sorry, can you re- well, say your question again? Like, I feel like we're getting in circles I, on this. I, I, I think yeah, I know where it's going. So, yeah, my question is, what what is money? <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting into it. Okay, that that's simpler. That, and that's kind of where I was going anyway. I think Derek probably saw that coming. So the thing is, money is just a piece of paper where the person who holds it expects to be given something of value from someone who recognizes that thing as having value. And that value can either be based on, well, in the case of U.S. dollars, it's just backed by the faith and credit of the U.S. government you know, for what that's worth. It just It's like, well, we just say it has value, therefore it does. If you want to think of dollars, just think of them as a share in the, in the U.S. government that's got a par value of $1 per share, right? That's all it is. It's just a share that's defined as having a value of one dollar. When Microsoft sells shares, you know their their share price is totally different. Um, same with Berkshire Hathaway, but like it, it's the same thing. You just you float a certain amount of money and say, look, you'll get something if you give me something else for this. You'll be able to trade just this, just like the thing you're giving me. Um, in in kind of finance terms, we'd say that money is fungible. Fungible meaning that it can change forms from one to the other, right? I can start with dollars in the morning. I can invest heavily in yen. I can sell the yen and buy euros. I can sell the euros and buy Microsoft stock. I can see et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, so money, you can change between all these different forms. It doesn't matter. Uh, but at the end of the day, people, the market just kind of, the market with a capital M kind of just agrees that these things have a certain value, which is simply defined as what people are willing to pay for it. That's That's what people mean by a free market is that, there's no government saying, well, the value of Microsoft is worth $30 a share this year because that's the number Congress can. No, it's just like whatever whatever it's worth to someone, that's what it's worth. That's how a free market works in theory. And we, for the most part, have that, right? We've got some regulation, but you know, there's some rules. But for the most part, it's like, well, the values of all these things float. They're just whatever the traders, however much or little people want it, just basic supply and demand. Um so All right. So, that, so uh, I mean that. Yeah, so that explains part of it, right? So the the other half of my question there is, like, when we're talking about shares outstanding, obviously that is a, a key metric when you're looking at 
purchasing a stock or purchasing options on a stock, right? So right. what what does that mean? I mean, I'm only asking because you you brought up you know that as a as a term, and I think we should be able to understand that, right? Right. Got it. So. So if the, if our company, say the three of us have a company and it's got a million shares outstanding, right? And we're doing a pretty brisk business. You know, money's coming in. It's going really well. Each shareholder, each one share is entitled to one millionth of the net profitability of that business, right? So if revenue goes up and the number of shares stay the same, you know, the, the share price goes up because those shares are worth more because they're entitled to more of that money in the future, uh, and again, there's the the wrinkle now of like you get a lot of firms that just don't you know promise they're never going to pay a dividend, but the share price keeps going up because investors understand, well, eventually we're going to get paid. Um, sorry, I, f- I feel like we keep dancing around this. I uh, <laughs> it's just that there's a lot of jargon to get through with people, um, and I'm trying to kind of keep it very simple. Of like you know people can place bets, but the bets don't have anything to do with the value of the underlying asset or the expectation that people are going to get paid back for that in the future. It, I the, think that the thing I'm really good. trying to stress is that this is about betting on volatility, and I think that's where we're getting kind of tangled in circles here. Is that we're this is a story about kind of betting on volatility rather than the intrinsic value of the asset. So okay. that's so yeah. I mean, that's probably my yeah, fault so. because you, we're we're looking at this from the perspective of of uh, like an entire populace that is seeing this as front page news. What's going on with GameStop and now uh, American Airlines and I think a couple of others? Um, oh yeah, AMC, a bunch of them. Yeah. So, and I think that people just kind of gloss over, like they don't understand um, what's going on here. So, you know, from my perspective, that was kind of one of the things that I wanted to to kind of address here because, you know, an informed populace is uh, obviously going to perform better. <laughs> socially so that's kind of, that's kind of our mission here anyway um so there's uh, a perverse incentive here though like if you're a wall street tater do you really want an informed populace that's able to pull off a reddit gamestop thing well and the answer is no so yeah there's a reason they make this stuff sound <laughs> obscure and complicated so C- yeah circling hold- back to the reddit gamestop thing um before we before we took yes. that the road less traveled um, we're at, you know, we had firms that took a short position, so they borrowed stock from somebody, paid a lease for the privilege, yep. sold that, and then the stock price didn't go down. Why didn't it go down? And how does that affect the hedge fund managers right. uh, that took these short positions? So, so uh, this is where, great so question. Where, oh, I'm, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. So we're, we're talking about shorts, but we haven't talked uh, I don't think about short squeeze and what that is. And, and so that's kind of an important that's concept. That's what we're getting into. Yeah. That's exactly Perfect. what he's about to explain. Okay. So, no, this, this is great. Thank you for the clarification. I This helps me keep on track too. So you're in this interesting position where some smart kids, some, some dorks on Reddit basically looked and said, wait a second. So let me get this straight. Like say this is you and me sitting around like a week ago. And I'm telling you, look, the short bets – now exceed the amount of shares of the company outstanding. So the company has 100% shares outstanding. I have no idea what the number is, but there's 100% of com- shares in the company. The bets against them are now 140% of the shares of the company. But and here's so, the crazy so that thing. would happen. Yep. So the 144%, that would happen. Let's say I 
buy a share from a short seller and then I sell that share to another short seller or I let another short seller borrow it for them to sell. That's is that sort of the, the process through how there could be more bets against a company than stock out in the market? You know, you know you've each- actually reached the limits of my understanding on this. I don't know the answer. I suspect it's much simpler than that. I suspect you simply have a synthetic betting structure where people can just place the bets and it's not really, there's not a finite limit because it's not like people physically take possession of these pieces of stock, right? These are just numbers in an Excel sheet or in a database. So I, I assume you're just, I actually don't know the answer to that, but I assume you're simply allowed to bet beyond the outstanding stock because it is just a bet and, and options traders understand they are just placing bets. So you can kind of place them all over them. Um, you know, then you get into things about, well, what about a negative stock price? And it's, but yeah, just, I actually don't know. It's, it's worth digging into, but for now, let's just kind of go with, there's a hundred percent shares of stock and there's 140% bets against the shares of stock. Cool. So what happened to all the people betting against GameStop? So they took the reasonable position, which is this company has no real long-term future prospects. It's going to go down. Let's just slowly start betting on that as it goes down and down and down. I, I, I think I'd heard that it got down as low as like $4. Then you have this, and this is where the story gets really juicy. Then a bunch of nerds on Reddit basically look at this and say, well, but Derek, explain something to me. It, it says that the option... The people with all these short positions, they, uh, they've extended themselves where they, they have to buy back the stock at the future price whenever that option expires, right? Maybe in like 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. What if a bunch of us just bought the stock, just literally not even an option, just literally bought the stock uh, or bought call options, right? Betting the stock's going to go up. And that's kind of what happened. And so the price started going up because people were like, if the price goes up, they have to pay us. And if the price goes to $100, you know, if they, if they bought their option at, you know, $30 or whatever it is, betting that it's going to go down from 30, if the price goes to 100, they have to pay us the difference. But here's the crate, here's how we'll we'll use loving terms for Reddit. I you know, here here's how the crazy kids over at Reddit, you know, who have been like these I think these are a lot of overlap. I think there's a Venn diagram with the crypto people. I think they looked at this and said, you know, $100 a share. What about $1000 a share? Yeah, I read a thing today saying, what if GameStop goes to 5000 a share? The question is, the option holder who has the put, who has the, uh, the short sale position, there is no cap on how, how high that stock can go. They're on the hook for the difference. Uh, that, that's the and thing that should just detonate people's brands. They're still, making that, they're still making that payment to the actual owner of the stock or the person they borrowed it from too the whole time, right? They they need to give that share of stock back. So so say you have one share of GameStop and I come to you and say, hey man, you're not doing anything with this. It's sitting in, a, in an account somewhere. Let me borrow, I'll pay you, I'll borrow it. I get to go bet on it. And then in 30 days, it's gonna be back in your account like nothing happened. And if I can make money on that volatility, good for me, you get a fee either way, right? That's That seems like a fair deal, right? Yeah. And that's what they did. What they what they knew in the back of their mind but didn't think through clearly was if for some reason a bunch of nerds on the internet made a mad run to just start buying the stock in ways that don't make good financial sense, right? This is like when the person kind of button mashes in, in Street Fighter. Like it starts working because you don't know what's happening. They knew yeah. this was an outlier possibility and then it happened. Um, and now they're kind of looking at it and reading these contracts closely and like, oh yeah, if the stock price is $1,000 a share, 
I have to buy that stock back for $1,000 a share and give it back to Derek now. And if I have a million shares of this, well, I'm on the hook for a million times 1,000 minus 30, which is like a billion dollars. And that's kind of where we are right now. And, and Reddit's looking at this and like, so let's just keep making the stock go up and up and up. And they're, on, they're legally required to pay. And that's kind of where we are. And, and of course, and that's where basically the, the regulators stepped in and shut down purchasing the stock in these, on these platforms. Everyone's still able to sell their positions, but not buy more stock because that would just twist the knife into these short sellers even harder. Do you know who's making the call to, you know, halt the trading on the stock? I assume it's the SEC. Um, I don't know I mean, how that actually works. I think it's been a couple of people. So I think Robinhood, who we talked about earlier, is is uh, a private trading platform. Initially said, "Hey, we're we're not going to allow any future trades on the stock." And I think some uh, competitors in the industry also followed suit with that, or maybe led the way with that. Right. Yeah, I I figure that's how it comes out in the press release. I think the question is how much leaning on them was there in the background and by whom? And, you know, we're just not going to know. But I, I assume there was quite a bit of screaming phone calls and, and yelling going on the last couple of days. And, yeah, basically these platforms have announced, like, we're not going <laughs> to, okay, enough's enough, guys. Like, you, you know, that this was funny. Stop. So and, we, had a, we had a question in the chat. Uh, it was... How about the institutional folks getting jammed? How does these how do these forced buybacks bankrupt the hedge funds? You know, these are funds with billions and billions of dollars. Right. One of them got a three billion dollar injection from another firm, um, right, to help keep it up. So I, I like that's that's a great question. That's where I was going next. I think part of uh, how we need to set that up is to talk about what a hedge fund is and what it does. Um, yeah, great point. And then, right. So, so we kind of understand what their leverage or, you know, what their skin in the game is before we can start to dissect their actions, right? There you go. Okay. So, a, a hedge fund in very simple terms is a firm that places bets in the market and it does so in a way where it's constantly hedging itself. And hedging itself means taking the, in a way, kind of taking the counter bet of its own bet. So, and you can see people do this in a casino or in horse races or in Wall Street or wherever. It's like, okay, I'm going to bet heavily over here. But then if I'm wrong, I also want to have a counterbalancing bet so I don't lose too much, right? And you can weight these portfolios in a lot of different ways, depending on the risk appetite or kind of goals of the investors, right? If the investors want a quick, you know, killer profit in the next two years and they'll take unlimited risk, it's like, okay, well, there's one strategy we go to market with. If it's a much more conservative thing. They do a different strategy. But what we mean by a hedge fund is a corporation with, with a pool of capital, which is placing bets, but in a way that, and I think I see where you're going with this, they're, they're placing unusually big bets in different directions to try to keep this whole seesaw kind of on a wobbling balance. So that the goal is to achieve what's called alpha. Alpha is a return where you didn't risk anything. You just get paid money because you were in the right place at the right time and you didn't even take a risk, right? So if I bet, say I could go to a roulette wheel and bet 500 on red, 500 on black, and if it doesn't land another and either one, I get some bonus. You know, th this is a hedged play, right? I can't really lose you know, because I'll, I'll almost certainly get the thing either way and sometimes I'll hit this jackpot. 
And this was kind of the problem with the GameStop thing is they, Wall Street's running this playbook that they've honed over many, many decades about, how, and I've, I've learned a lot of this stuff in university and since, like, there's all kinds of strategies for, I mean, this is what those guys sit around and do 16 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, that's what they have these trading algorithms for, these artificial intelligence platforms. So they're they're running these very sophisticated games. And I, again, this is why I use the button mashing in Street Fighter as an example. It's just, Reddit was like, yeah, but I just, I'm just going to buy the stock. And Wall Street's answer to that is, but that's insane. You're, you're almost sure to lose money. It's long term, it's going to fail or go down. And they're like, yeah, but I don't care. I just care about the volatility going up. And so we're in this weird kind of vortex where like you you have all these kind of hedge funds kind of scratching their heads like like we knew you could do that hedge funds do that to each other all the time but but we didn't no one saw wall street bets kind of coming um and all those firms that took short positions are either having to buy these stocks at massively inflated prices to cover their position and return the stock or you know they just keep losing more and more as the price keeps going higher and higher Right. They saw 30 going to 20. They saw 20 going to 10. They saw 10 going to four. And they're just like, okay, we're just, we're going to keep placing our bets right into bankruptcy. And in fact, the, the way they could have steered out of this was when the price hit those bottoms, they could have simply exercised their options, collected their winnings for being right so far, and then just walked away and let the company sit at $4 a share until, you know, eventually, you know, they just kind of get delisted. Instead, you got funds that were like, oh, no, no, we're going to keep betting it under a dollar. We're going to keep betting it until it gets delisted. And that's kind of where this went. And then at some point, someone was like, well, but again, like there's more shorts than there are shares. So I just all we have to do is buy the existing shares. And then you guys are in for more than the shares are worth in the first place. You know, there's your alpha. You know, there's your guaranteed profit. But it's on our end betting against the shorts. And that's why the story, I think, kind of touches a nerve for people is it kind of flips the script on Wall Street, which is betting on this company dying. And then a bunch of people come out of the woodworks and be like, nope, still alive. You know, I'm so not dead. You, you said this is something that happens all the time. This The firms do this to each other all the time. I mean, if anyone who's watched the Absolutely. show Billions, you know, it's dramatized for sure. But right. you see it all the time. You know, this person's in there, so I'm going to drive the stock price down or up. Um, heck, I remember. I hear it's excellent. And yeah, it's, the, it's really the, good, the yeah. Paul Giamatti character is basically coming for uh, for Robin Hood and, and Reddit right now. Yeah, you know that's that's pretty fair. Yeah, um, but I think the question, you know, and we can get into this at some point. I think the question is: Is there any kind of a case? Because you know they, they played this so cleanly. It's like, well, you're betting the stock's going to go down. I bet if enough of us buy it, it'll go up. <laughs> so I mean, we, Reddit, Wall, Wall Street Bets has been pumping and dumping these meme stocks. Right. For years. And there was right. even, you know, we saw, I remember last year at Market Watch, there was an article about hedge fund traders watching Wall Street bets and just betting against them because, you know, it's just a bunch of oh, yeah. dorks on it's Reddit. not sophisticated. It's, it's a Zergling rush. So why, if, if this is something that happens all the time, why, why is everyone freaking out? Perfect. Okay. Because usually it's happening at a vastly smaller scale because... If you're one of these kind of major funds, like you're you're not betting on these big volatility swings with penny stocks. You're betting on, you know, I mean, just look at the market capitalization of the Fortune 500, right? You're betting on Amazon, Microsoft, you know, Walmart. And they have all these analysts who sit there and spend all this research time 
saying like, okay, what's the price of Walmart stock going to be in 30 days, in 90 days, in 180 days? You know, they've got all, you know, just think of all the people sitting in offices in Wall Street all day. I mean, they're not all bond traders. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're looking at the prices of these things into the future. And, and all this was was just the internet basically as a meme was like, you know what, what if we do the irrational thing? It seems like these guys would be caught with their pants down, wouldn't it? And they tried it and it turns out they're right. And it's, it is pretty funny, actually. So it is really funny. And, and that is, I think, one of the most remarkable things about this situation and why it's such a big news story right now is that people had no expectation that this was going to be <laughs> something that could make you know, a basement dweller, like millions of dollars potentially. Right. Right. So I think, um, you now know, the secret's out. Yeah. <laughs> this is so, a new a, now. A, so a big part of the story, I think for us at least is, uh, number one, um, you know, there's, there's issues about legality, but I think that, you know, that's pretty well wash. Right. So, there, there's issues about okay, well, how how is this going to be regulated going forward, and um, how, like how how the hell did these guys even figure this out, right? Like, if in the history of Wall Street traders they couldn't figure this out, and a couple of basement dorks on the internet figured this out and basically destroyed uh, potentially several companies. Right. <laughs> here's here's a good here's a good illustration of this. There's a lot of things that I can do without a law degree. Right. I can go buy, I can go sign to purchase a home. I can write up a contract. There's lots of things I can do without a law degree. There's a lot of things that I could do that aren't quite a crime, but that a lawyer who's kind of in good standing with the bar wouldn't ever think of going near because they're worried they'd be sanctioned, they worry there's regulators, they're, you know, they're legitimate worries, right? There's a certain professional code of conduct. Can't this is kind of skirting that difference here, where the internet people are like, well, I, I don't work at Goldman, I don't have the SEC breathing down my neck, I've, they're going to sue me for buying a stock? And, that's, and enough people kind of realized that that was absurd, so they just were like, let's do it. Whereas if a bunch of traders tried to do it, I mean, they'd, they'd be arrested. Because they'd be clearly colluding to, you know, so, so that that's kind of where we're in this wonky gray area where it's like, these are just retail investors. What's new is that it used to be, uh, you know, in kind of databases we talk about like one-to-one -one or one-to-many connections. It used to be that the projection of this information way back in the day, like in the, the world of Wall Street days, is one-to-many, right? The firm makes a bunch of phone calls. It tells you bro, I've got this great stock. You should buy it. Give me your credit card number and I'll get you in there. What's new now is all the, all the people getting those cold, one, you don't get the cold calls anymore. The math doesn't work. But now all these people who are being propositioned can just talk to each other be like, wait, what if we, what if we bet against all of those guys? What if we just did the irrational thing, but enough of us did it, that it throws the money out of the, I think that's it. I, I think it's that it throws the, the situation out of the parameters of these really carefully curated and well-guarded Wall Street models, and just you know, it's just breaking them for the sake of breaking them. So um, we had a we had a question in the chat. Um, now that you know these shorts are massively blown out, is there anything that the hedge funds can do to combat the dorks on Reddit? Um, 
said this offhand. Uh, in what types of ways? Like things they can do within their trades or like regulatory things? So I, I saw, you know, today that the price was was dropping and I was yeah. reading that it was just the, the result of a lot of different hedge for hedge funds trading the stock back and forth to try and drive it down. Right. Um, well, what I other techniques, the... if any, could they could they have to, you know, minimize the losses they've gained so far they they've suffered so far? I, I think, sure. it, and I could be wrong, but the, I, I think that the price was dropping today because trading was curbed at either a regulatory level or at the level of the individual brokers that were uh, engaging in that. Is that correct? It's both, actually. You guys are you guys are dead on between you. It's it's kind of it's both. Um, so yeah, they're, they're trying. And, and one of the things to keep in mind is this is, there's no such thing as a free market, right? Like we're acting like this is taking place in a vacuum. The reality is the traders in, uh, is it Marvin or Melvin? Melvin. Um, Melvin. The traders there are both friends. actually, wasn't it? No, oh, it was, Melvin was the hedge fund that took all, took a, at least the majority oh, okay. of the shorts. Oh, okay. All right, all right. My bad. So these guys all know each other. That, that, that was the thing. Do you remember, do you remember watching Margin Call? It was the same story. It's like, well, if we dump bad toxic assets on our colleagues, we won't have friends anymore. It's like, yeah, these people all know each other. They all went to Harvard and Yale together. You know, it's a very insular club on Wall Street. And so, yeah, like immediately this fund overextends itself. The other firms notice and they just, without even blinking twice, they just recapitalize them. Like, oh yeah, we'll give you billions more. Not a problem. In fact, we'll, we'll actually, we see what's going on here. Every one of these firms sees how this is very, very dangerous for them. It because they're they're now all looking at all their short positions, and they know that people over at Wall Street Bets are doing the same thing, and so suddenly Wall Street can kind of circle the wagons, right, and say like, okay, this stops here. Let's you know, you go have dinner and with whoever and have the phone calls, but like, let's all agree to kind of sell our stock, unwind our positions, buy more short positions, you know, just kind of throwing their weight around. And the internet is kind of looking at that and be like, oh, yeah, why don't you do that? Why don't you buy more short positions? We'll keep buying more stock. And then they were, you know, so it is kind of this arms race thing. And then they respond with, however it happened, these trading platforms have kind of had it made clear to them, I suspect, that it would be in, in the long-term interest of these trading platforms if they just suspended trading of the stock until Wall Street firms can get a lid back on this thing and kind of cover their other positions. I suspect so to, what, yep. To, so to sum it up, the way that the hedge funds fight back is by insider trading with each other, Colluding. pressuring the government and the platforms to do what they want to do. That's hey, what else is new? Fantastic. Um, I, I is anyone surprised by that at this point? That's what no. they do. That's that's how you, you like. Know. This is the yeah. No, th yeah. there's a reason these guys are all in the same Ivy League schools. The same kind of yeah. Like it's it's not a conspiracy. It's just a it's a it's a group of people who know each other and they like being friends with each other. Like they like cutting each other in on deals. It's not what I think people outside of it picture, which is everyone for themselves. Right. It's a club that that was so, Carlin's line. You know, it's, it's a big club and you ain't in it. Like uh, that's basically it. So I want to switch gears. You said, you said earlier, you know, the value of money is fungible. Um, yes. I'm just going to say two words. Cause if anyone's been following the GameStop stuff, they probably also came across Dogecoin. <laughs> what the hell i i saw like everyone on my facebook talking <laughs> about it so i bought like a few dollars worth and it's up a hundred percent i don't even know what it is i don't know how to spend it 
<laughs> what the hell is going on? Was the also, question, what does fungible money advice. mean? Or is the question, what is Dogecoin? Well, what, what is Dogecoin? And I guess, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we, before we went live about how it relates to things like tulips and gold and, and Bitcoin right. in, in terms of value. And I kind of so, want to dive into that a little bit. Well, so let's let's answer them backwards. Let's start with tulip mania and all that. So you had so the, the the point is people have been making these stock runs forever. I forget the year. Someone someone can post it in the chat. I, I I'm gonna guess like sixteen seventeen or something in the Netherlands. Right there was this run on tulip bulbs where suddenly everyone wanted to buy tulip bulbs, and the logic was with tulip bulbs, tulips make more tulip bulbs. So if I have a bunch of bulbs, I can have more bulbs next year and even more bulbs next year. I'll have an infinite amount of tulip bulbs. Over time. 1637. Oh, close enough. 20 years, yeah, I'll take it. Um, yeah. In fact, if you want a number, I, I think it, it got to a point where the, to buy a single tulip bulb in Amsterdam cost more than a fine suit or a good-sized kind of wooden barrel of beer for one bulb. Now, did that make any sense long-term? Like, no. <laughs> you know, it, it, this is just where human minds break when they start seeing infinite value. Which is, you know, well, well, if each tulip bulb makes three tulip bulbs each year, then I have a compounding fractal and I'll make infinite money. And it's like, well, not if everyone else is doing it. So you get these runs periodically where people see an opportunity and then they all pile in. And whatever money the original people saw to be gained there is quickly kind of gobbled up and dispersed. And then what you end up with is a lot of people holding the bag, wondering what the hell happened. And that has played out just, it, this really is, you know, I hate when people talk about human nature, but that really is one of those things that is, seems to be kind of human nature. But I will caveat this and say kind of human nature within a competitive market economy. Uh, when people are looking for like, if I can just get in there early enough, you know, it's seductive. If I can just get in there and time it right, I can, you know, I'll never have to worry about my student loans again. And so people kind of pile in. And I, you know, you get this kind of, you know, the, the, you get this kind of YOLO mentality where it's like, well, it's a thousand bucks. If it turns into five, great. You know, you, you, these people are not, are the opposite of sophisticated investors. It, it is actually their, uh, yeah, I'll put it that way, you know, with some love, it is their lack of sophistication and being willing to do these basically financially irrational plays that has kind of confused, you know, it'd be like if you're playing against a pro soccer team and all your guys are running backwards. It's like, that's not a good strategy, but you could see how you could get a goal out of that. You know, it's that, just, uh, it just confuses them. That happened on, on Ted Lasso's an Apple TV show. About a, <laughs> yeah. It was I know who that is. I saw the trailer. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's so good. But he, he did a game where all his players did trick plays and the other team was like, I don't, I mean, they lost, but the other team was right. like, I don't know what the fuck to do with this. There was a guy and I think it was like Palo Alto or something. He coached high school girls basketball and he started running an aggressive full court press on every single play with girls who are not great ball handlers. You know, this would never work in the NBA. You'd never do a full course press on every play. Your people are going to be exhausted and they'll just lob the ball over your head. But at that level, it worked, and he was getting scores of like a hundred to five. And they eventually, the other dad, you know, the other parents and league people were like, "This is ridiculous! You can't do this." And he was like, "Hey, my team's winning." So you get these kind of interesting plays where people find a hack that's not—it's not a good strategy if you're playing the game "quote unquote" well. But if the other team is only used to playing the game "quote unquote" well, and then someone does something that doesn't make sense, there's a there's a temporary competitive advantage created, right? 
temporary. So that's kind so of what, right. What does the rebound look like? Because, you know, eventually people oh, are going to figure out. Fall. <laughs> the people holding the stock are going to lose money. GameStop was, I mean, let's rewind the clock to a couple months ago. GameStop stock was kind of worth what it was worth. If anyone wanted to buy it, they could have. It was worth 10 bucks a share or whatever it is. Now it's worth, you know, like 250 or something as of today. So all those people who bought it, that means people are buying in at 250 and they're going to get back like 10. Someone's got to lose for every dollar that's being made there. We're not actually creating wealth here. We're just squabbling over the pie. So some, somebody, eventually they're going to have to sell, you know, if, if you bought in at $4 and it's 250 and you don't sell, you're absolutely insane. What does that do to the price of the stock when people It'll start collapse selling? It. It'll collapse right, cause, immediately. Because I, I listed at 250 Somebody else wants to list it. They do it at 249 so on and so forth, until you get people who are actually trying to buy it for the value. Oh, yeah. It'll go back down to whatever it was. I, th- this really is one of those one-off unicity events. But again, like, and we kind of started with a good set of distinctions about this. The people betting right now on the call options don't really care about that. They know the long-term future value of the, pro- the prospects of the stock are straight down at this point, but they don't care because they care about the volatility over the next 72 hours. Where I think the that's party... A, I, Pause real quick. So um, just to explain what options are, because I don't think we got into that earlier. Options are a bet on whether the price of the stock goes up or down. You don't actually buy the stock or sell the stock. You just buy the right to do something with the stock, depending on whether it goes up or down. The value of the right to do that thing with the stock, the value of that also has its own market. And when the stock's price is volatile, people don't know what to do. The price of those option contracts goes up. So people can buy this, buy a call option, betting that the price is going to go up, knowing that it's not really going to, but just expecting that the volatility will make somebody else want to buy it even more down the road. I don't know if I'm going with you on all of that. Let's backtrack to the Please last couple of sentences there. Um so well, let's just make a distinction, right? It's imagine I'm entering, let's say you're entering a horse into a horse race, right? And there's a prize purse if you win. So you actually own the horse. You're going to enter it in the race. If your horse wins, you get a huge payout. I don't own a horse. I'm just betting on your horse. And, and I could actually stand to me. Do you see how I could make more money off of your horse winning than in theory you could win off of the prize purse to begin yeah, with, I don't have to pay for the upkeep of the horse and the hay and the getting it. To well, the you actually do in this bets. in this example. I don't. I'm just oh, yeah, sorry, speculative bets. But but yeah, here's the other thing: your prize purse. Position. Here's the distinction: your prize purse is fixed. It's ten thousand dollars or whatever it is. But if I can create a market and I can get my buddies to float me for a million dollar bet on your horse, I can place that bet. And the, to give a kind of an illustration of hedge funds, what they're doing is, let's say they're doing this thing where they place 10,000 bets on every horse, but with like subtle adjustments between those bets where it's not exactly 10,000 for each one. There's some AI system that spits out. You want to bet 9,500 points on horse A, you know, 10,200, et cetera. So tons of bets, tons of little, uh, what for them is little bets. And then what, you know, but what they're optimizing for is all possible outcomes. You know, they're not really gambling. They're trying to kind of map the overall risk of the race itself. And so right. that's where, yep. 
Yeah, so right. So, uh, and I, I, I kind of want to bring this up earlier because I, I don't think it's a term that we've um, gone over yet, but um, we call that covering, right? So basically you're saying, all right, well, I can lose $1,000 here, but I'll, I'll make right. 950 on the other side of it. So, um, you know, my loss is, you know, minimized or covered. Yeah, covering or, or collaring. Collaring is kind of the same, is similar sort of thing where I say, okay, I'm extending myself. I'm in, I'm in a risky position where I'll gain money if I'm right, lose money if I'm wrong. But I'm going to take just enough of the other bet to collar my downside risk. So just imagine I say, okay, my risk is this. I'm going to draw a line, place another bet that says, but it can't go below this number. Because I just bought another contract that says if it does go below that number, I make money. Right? So that's perfectly legitimate. Right? I just said, okay, I'm willing to risk from here to here. But beyond that, I, I'm buying the contra position, so I start making money there. And so I'll make less of a return, but I'm also taking on less risk. And again, that's a very simple illustration, but like you, you have to really picture, I mean, this is like saying a server, this is like saying that what Google does is it reads through the internet to find the letters you're typing in. I mean, they, they, we have to understand like how vast these server farms are at this point, you know, how complex these high-frequency trading platforms and derivatives platforms are. Yeah, you know, we're talking tens of trillions of dollars, I, by some accounts, hundreds of trillions of dollars in derivatives trades outstanding. I mean, just mind-boggling amounts of bets and trades happening all the time. And what, what so, we're seeing here is, uh, you know, frankly, they got caught with their pants down. They didn't collar their downside risk. They didn't draw that line and say, okay, but if the price for whatever reason, I mean, GameStop's dying, but if their stock goes above 100%, I'm taking the counter position there. That was what they should. If, if I were their boss, yelling at them, that's what I'd be saying. It's like you, you guys took an uncollared position with absolutely no limit. Like th that's you I guys. Just don't are just, you guys have bent us over. I don't understand how they didn't see this coming, though. You know, these guys all work sixteen-hour days in their office, staring right. at computer screens. This was people been posting about this on Wall Street bets, on Reddit for months. For you years, know, I, they've been pumping and dumping stocks. How how did they not see this coming? Like, if I was if I was a client of one of these hedge funds, which I never would be, because I'll never have that much money. Yeah. But like, like these hedge funds are made up of people's pensions. They're made up of people's four hundred one ks. Right. You know, it's good. It's it's easy to say, oh fuck the hedge fund managers. But at the end of the day, like this is going <laughs> to affect real people. Even though it does feel good to see, you know, these hedge fund managers <laughs> kind of get kicked in the teeth. Was that a question? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's exactly what's happening. They, they got arrogant, they got greedy, and they didn't take the safe play. They they extended themselves because there's that thing in, God, it's, it's probably a terrible analogy, but it, it kind of works. It, uh, picture the U.S. Navy. They're, you know, they're looking for like certain types of threats. You know, they're looking for Russian and Chinese submarines and all this stuff, but like then someone flies a plane into a building. There's always going to be, you know, in, in the Pentagon, they talk a lot about ace, you know, asymmetric warfare. Wall Street just mm. got hit with an asymmetric attack. It didn't look like what anyone, you know, in the professional room was expecting. Everyone in the war room was like, okay, you know, they've got, I mean, picture all, picture all these guys in there with just a room full of monitors. They, they've, this is all they do. But this is, a, this is what's called a black swan event. It, it's just, there's never been one before. And now it's here. And now that just happened. Um, yeah, these things happen periodically. And 
it's just you're, you're still dealing with human beings. Ultimately, like for all the talk about algorithms and artificial intelligence platforms in trading, a person could have made a different call here and they, for whatever reason, they didn't. And I think it's just, yeah, it's the David and Goliath thing, right? You just, you have absolutely no concept that you could lose this fight. And so you're just not, you, you get careless. So before, before we start wrapping up, um, yep. what do you see happening in the future in terms of regulation or changes? You know, because obviously the people that's happened to are not going to want to see it happen again. So, so this is interesting. So there's all these different vested interests, right? And, and ultimately, like the cynical take is like, well, they're all there to make money. So they're all going to want to keep making money. So there's a lot of players who want this thing to kind of go in the rearview mirror and tell people not to worry. Um, one, you'll see traders doing what I'm kind of talking about and having probably tighter collars on these things. When you're going into kind of these 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 kind of uh, short positions, uh, you may see them kind of collaring their upside risk more and more and probably watching some of the chatter on social media to see if there's any one of these bubblings. They're not hard to spot. I mean, Reddit's public. You know, this was not yeah, a bunch like, of, this is not a conspiracy. They could have just gone to Reddit. There was a market was market watch. I think there was a market watch article last year um, about a hedge fund that bragged about trolling Wall Street bets on Reddit right. just to counter them. So it's just crazy, man. They didn't see this coming. Um, do you remember? Do you remember in the Social Network when they dragged Mark Zuckerberg in front of the Harvard board? You guys remember this? Uh, no, I didn't see that. And they're like, you know, they're like, you took down the network. You did this. It was actually a good metaphor for this. They're like, you took down the network. You did all this awful stuff. You're being charged as a student, and he's like, well, I, I think I deserve some recognition because I actually pointed out some vulnerabilities in your system. And then you know, the other, the kind of IT admin kind of kind of kind of bristles at him and says, uh, you know, well, you know. It's, so this is a very complicated network. You know, it's how we were able to find you and track you down in like four hours. And he he kind of smirks at them and it's like, you know, if, if you knew what you were looking for, you'd like you'd have seen the formula written on my dorm room window. Like it was right there in front of everyone. You just didn't know where to look. And that's kind of how I take this. It's just they didn't know where to look. And the biggest takeaway, you know, regulatory stuff aside, the biggest takeaway is now they know where to look to not only keep a lid on these things in the future and pretend for the professional firms to protect themselves, but they uh, they also know where to go for, I think what you're gonna find is that Wall, these things keep happening, but now Wall Street firms are along for the ride and they'll be betting with them and against them. And then, you know, like everything, these things just kind of get wrapped up into the big, this is just another new tool in the toolkit of Wall Street at this point. Um, I expect it'll be that combined with some sort of regulatory language, which I would, I, I might, if I had to make a prediction, I, I, I would expect that at some point in the not too distant future, there's a, you, you guys know how they do this, right? They don't just come out, they don't just come out and say Reddit can't make money in the stock market. What they say is that, well, to, to kind of protect people's investments and reduce vol, you know, volatility, which doesn't lead to price discovery, we're going to reinterpret some of our existing mm -hmm. guidelines, you know, that sort of thing such that you know we can't do, we're not going to allow these run social media based runs so i think it would be something like if there's all if there's chatter kind of with people clearly publicly stating that they're going to drive the price of a stock higher to push you know shorts out of it you know i think they'll find some way to say like okay then the regulator gets to step in and cry foul and throw a yellow flag on the field and stop the play right like maybe they'll do that maybe they won't 
I think it'll be some combination. It'll be the regulators will do some reinterpretation. And I think Wall Street firms, I think the, the short sellers will just collar their risk a lot more carefully going forward. And I think you'll get other firms that are like, oh, this is great. I'm going to ride the rocket. I'm going to figure out how to listen to the chatter. I mean, some of them are already doing this. I, I think you'll find the institutional people start paying a bit more attention. So one last one last question in the in the chat, and then I, I personally got to go, but you, you can, set can keep going. Um, obviously, the short squeeze, the artificial pumping of the stock, they can't go on forever. If the short sellers just keep holding these positions until it goes back down to $10, have they really lost anything? Other than the payment for the privilege that's, of borrowing and selling, that's stock. the thing that's almost certainly not going to happen. The where the stock crashes is after all these options expire. But imagine you've got all these guys lined up against the wall, dead to rights. You know, you're not just going to kind of let you know they're going to hit them with everything they've got until those things expire. Once all these, you know, consider these options, these uh, excuse me, these uh, short positions. Consider them the the current toxic assets they're holding these just bags of shit and they can't do anything about them they can't pawn them off on somebody else they're stuck holding these bags and they're going to have to pay out if anyone to keep the legitimacy of the game going um but unlike unlike other short squeezes where it's one firm putting all the pressure on this is thousands of people on the internet they're gonna break eventually sure. they're gonna they're gonna start selling and that's gonna cause a but i'm saying they're only they're only pumping money into the stock because you have these contracts these short contracts that are going out like 30 or 60 days i'm saying once those things have passed right no one's buying shorts on gamestop right now actually that's not true obviously but like the big staked positions that people are taking advantage of punishing right now they're not going to renew those positions the moment those like whatever the stock price is on the day that thing expires, they're going to have to pay out that difference. And then that'll be the end of it. And I, I would expect the stock to kind of revert back down to whatever, whatever it was. Is um, there any way for the, the funds to renegotiate or extend those, those contract dates? Or do you think, do you think that the stock is going to stay inflated all through the next 30, 60 days or so? No, a contract is a contract. Like you typically yeah. enter well, you, into you that. You can modify it. Like it's days, a contract. Right? It's an asset here. Yeah, yeah. And it, so it that brings in that. another interesting point, uh, which we haven't really talked about, is micro trades, right? So you could you could buy a thirty day contract and sell it, you know, four hours later, right? Sure. So right. the you, so the opportunity for manipulation within the length of the contract is you know how fast can you sell it i'll uh, i'll put this uh, and i want people to note the ominous tone here i'll just i'm not making a prediction i'm just kind of telling you what the lay of the land is right now the price today is like 250 right so the simple math is that all the people who own those short contracts have to pay out the difference right they whatever they bought it at like 30 bucks right so imagining it's going to go to 20 instead of pocketing 30 minus 20 is plus 10. Instead, their math is 250, 30 minus 250 is minus 220. That's what they're paying out per share to these people. So here's the ominous thing that I'll just leave people with. That's what the price of 250. What Wall Street bets has noticed is that, guys, what if the price went to 1,000? What if it went to 5,000? Then they'd have to pay out 30 minus 5,000 per share. And that's why they suspended trading today. 
because everyone's kind of looking at this and saying, well, so if people just buy the stock, <laughs> these guys have to keep paying out to infinity. And that's kind of where everyone's kind of looking around and looking at each other and like, so what do we do now? And, and <laughs> Reddit's answer is, you know, buy the fucking stock. Uh, and Wall Street's answer is, uh, you know, maybe we should just kind of call it a day. So that's kind of where we are. And, and, you know, basically Wall Street got caught with their pants down. And but there's because those contracts haven't expired yet, it's not like people, you know, oh, I bet the wrong way. And now it's over. It's like, no, my bet isn't doesn't end until like 30 days from now. And I, you know, if I'm if I'm holding those contracts and I've agreed to buy the, the, the stock at the market price 30 days from now. I'm sweating bullets because there's no reason it has to stay at 250 and they can't stop people from buying a publicly traded stock for a month. So if Reddit gets all these crypto people, you know, here's, here's the nuclear bomb. Imagine you got the crypto people being like, let's sell cryptos and buy GameStop, drive the price to 5,000. That, that's kind of, that, that's why this is such a big story and why everyone's kind of, why the professionals are kind of looking at each other nervously, like, oh God, like we, we yeah, that's what the contract says. Wow. So we'll see what happens. Not a prediction, but that's, uh, it's going to be interesting. It's not over yet at all. So, so to recap, um, basically, the super rich hedge fund managers are able to leverage everything in order to screw the retail investors, even when those retail investors get a leg up. Fantastic. Nothing changes. Oh, yeah. What did you, what did you think this was? It's, uh, I do picture casino. Yeah. With the guy like getting hit in the, with the hammer like that. That's kind of, this is not like, and again, this is why I roll my eyes whenever someone brings up the free market. Like you're, you're talking about traders. They'll take any advantage they can. Like it's like playing monopoly against you know someone whose only goal is to win. Um, so yeah, like we'll, we will see so how this, this plays out, but this is a new type of populist investing. Do you think it's going to happen again? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. In fact, they're already starting to move. They're moving to Bed Bath & Beyond. They're moving to AMC. I mean, think about these, right? AMC and Bed Bath & Beyond, would you buy these stocks on their intrinsic value? No. But when Wait, you see institutions... Bed Bath & Beyond. I love Bed Bath & Beyond. Same I love thing. Bed yeah, Bath & Beyond. But they've been killed by Bezos. Like, they have no place... Yeah, Amazon and COVID kind of cl cleared the table of a lot of these. <laughs> you want to own Kohl's stock? They're they're basically a place to return Amazon products right now. Yeah, no, that, <laughs> it's the the landscape has shifted so radically toward these tech platforms that don't actually need humans for the most people part that can just kind of trade on information. That yeah, there's a lot of these a lot of what we would call zombie firms, and so basically, it, it, it actually here's a good image for people. You know, you know the concept of like loose nukes, right? You've got these countries like the old Soviet bloc that had these nukes kind of sitting in silos and then the, the Cold War ended. But like yep. Russia doesn't own them now. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like the sum of yeah, all yeah, yeah. And all so that, like right? all, yeah, yeah. all of a sudden, like uh, Poland can have like a nuclear weapon. Right. right. Yeah. So picture all of these stocks that are like GameStop, right? All these zombie firms, they have, they have tens of millions of shares just sitting there. And Wall Street, just as part of its ordinary business, right? I mean, it's not like, I mean, Wall Street wouldn't exist if they only bet on stocks going up. They're betting they go up and down all over the place. Up, down, sideways, stay the, you know, I bet that it stays the same. 
so they're betting all over the place and they're now looking and they're like doing the big like you know they're looking at every one of these zombie firms that they've just been kind of slowly <laughs> by you know shorting and they're now looking at the internet being you know kind of licking its chops and being like so we could do this to every single one of them and as long as the contract for the short position exists I can just bet that it's going to go up and then expect people to kind of jump in there and do the same thing. It really, the, the image I like as kind of a database guy is that like, this is like a distributed denial of service attack, like a, a DDoS attack where like you didn't get, you didn't get the people's password to get in there. All you did is just bombard the network with requests until it basically shuts down. That's what I meant by the Zergling thing, right? You just rush with a lot yeah. of units and then the, the big powerful thing doesn't know what to do, so it just kind of falls over. That that's kind of what happened here in a, in a weird way. But yeah, it's it's very much an active story, and we'll. <laughs> I, I'm glad you guys did this emergency podcast thing. I think it's great. People get some sense of what's going on because it's fascinating. It's. But yeah, it's it's like to me, it's like watching the Arab Spring or something. Like what Twitter was doing, you know, suddenly, wait, suddenly these guys can talk to each other, you know, and just like the people with guns can talk to each other. You know, it's, a, that's kind of a new world we're living in. And frankly, these models were perfected long before there was really the expectation that you could get cohesive movement and strategizing among random people on the network, which is what's starting to happen right now. So I, in some ways it's scary. In other ways, I'm absolutely delighted and thrilled. It's just, it's a mixed bag. It's, it's a new it's a new type of kind of conducting these things. Yeah, it is really interesting. And we really didn't even get into the real social aspects of what's going on here. Um, and, and those are the parts that I find most interesting. Huh. Um, so maybe, maybe we can do a follow up next week when, <laughs> when everything is completely crashed. <laughs> I'll, uh, if anyone's I'll curious, one... Do Dogecoin is up 384% today. Uh, Again, not investment advice. Nothing means anything. Yeah. What they're, is the, they're my favorite one because they were set up as to make a joke about how these cryptos have no intrinsic value. Like, I got an idea for a crypto. How about I put a Shiba Ibu on it and sell it? And they, they raised like $100 million. Uh, just astonishing. It's like, the, it's just beyond parody. It was uh, the same. Actually, here's a fun little. Yep. I mean, you know, uh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, people are going to believe what they believe, right? And so, the the belief in your currency is what gives it value. Whether or not it's intrinsic doesn't really matter at that point. Well, that's why it says in your dollar bills in your wallet, "Promise to pay" rather than "value." Just a promise to pay. It doesn't have any value in and of itself except what other people will give you on the other end of the transaction. And yeah, that, that's probably the big takeaway for people is that like, let's be very clear on what money is versus what value is versus what's good for the economy. You know, and these things don't necessarily, as we're finding out in this case, don't necessarily have anything to do with each other. But because they all kind of get talked about in the same soup of finance, economics, politics, people kind of get a sense of how it all works. But then when you, you get one of these at the margin where it's really kind of testing, well, what do you mean by a contract? What do you mean by currency versus, you know, et cetera. In those details, you know, there's, there are these plays to be made. And I, again, I, I think this was that like wall street thought they had the game mastered and then someone came out with a trick play and it worked. 
and they'll I expect them to keep running it on different stocks until collusion between the Wall Street firms and regulatory intervention kind of puts a lid on it. And I actually do expect that to happen. It, but the funny thing to watch for will be how they do it. When they when they do announce something, like just watch the language they use about why it's so essential we do this. They're not going to say, we don't want people on Reddit to make money in the stock market. It'll be something more about preserving transparency and, you know, faith in markets and all that stuff. But the, basically, like, yeah, <laughs> Do you basically have a hedge fund that like you think of the head this hedge fund Melvin is like a pinata, you know? And Reddit just put a pickaxe through the thing, and it's just now spewing money. And and basically, I I'm not giving advice, but like those contracts are still there, and I and they can't just they can't just declare that they're not now. And so yeah, it, the next the next few weeks are gonna be fascinating. We are in uncharted waters, and it's I, yeah. My attitude is like you know anyone's political leanings aside, like just. In terms of anthropology, you know, this is something new and different and, and, and therefore very interesting. Certainly it is. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, um, can we find you, follow you anywhere? You know, this is typically kind of the thing we do at huh. the end of the show is to, to, to make sure that you have a lot of stalkers. Do you, I do actually, you do I'm, I'm hard the other side. I, uh, I tend to keep a fairly low profile. I'm working on kind of a personal uh, stealth startup thing right now, so I'm actually pretty quiet about that stuff. But uh, I'm happy to chat with you guys whenever. Oh, okay. Well, good for you. And, yeah, I, I think we definitely need to have you back because I think we have uh, a couple of hours of <laughs> unanswered questions here. There's a lot here, and I we did do the thing where, like, half of this should have been just documented preamble. But I, we kept kind of so yeah, like there, there's more to dissect here. I but yeah, I'd be happy to chat more about uh, this or anything else. Um, the economy's fascinating. It, it is just this never-ending arms race. It's very much kind of an evolutionary process. Uh, so it's it's, it's very South very Park interesting. Episode. To, what's that? The South Park episode, Margaritaville, where they have to like sacrifice things to the economy. I, I don't know South Park as well, but uh, I, I, I know a bit about uh, Matt and Trey and like, yeah, that sounds about right. It is, it is the cow god Moloch. <laughs> this is, <laughs> that's kind of what they're talking about. Um, it, it, yeah, like, this is something human civilizations have warned about like long since before the tulip thing. Like this goes back to kind of Old Testament stuff, right? Like, like you start worshiping the golden god and believing that it's going to redeem you. And then, you know, society does that too long and eventually reality just comes up and smacks them on the side of the head. And like, yeah, that, that was delusional. That wasn't real value. You guys just convinced yourselves it was. And I, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely headed for that in the housing market. Um, but I, this was one of those kind of interesting, funny. I think that was the thing is ultimately it's that it's funny. It's not like this is even a huge amount of money by Wall Street standards. It's just that it's it's so kind of lovably adorable that they pulled it off. Um, yeah, but yeah, there, there's a lot of people who don't see the humor in it right now, like sending a lot of very angry and threatening emails. So we'll see how that all shakes out. Good stuff. All right, all right well, I think cool. that's about all all I've got. And we'll this is great, guys. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. This is this was actually really fun. I uh, appreciate you joining us, and um, you know I'm going to do our obligatory 30 second plug. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, come over to 
the forums at bullshito.net and join the conversation. We can talk more about this. And uh, we will be putting this episode up on uh, all the usual stuff. It'll be on the homepage and everything else. So thanks very much, Andy. Thanks, Derek, uh, for this evening. I have been your completely incompetent host, Sub Messenger, and we will catch you on the next episode. <laughs>